Indiana's Seventh-day Adventist Church podcast. Today's message comes to us from Senior Pastor of Marietta Seventh-day Adventist Church, Matthew Smith. First service, I was sharing that a year or so ago, maybe two years ago, Damien, who's a contractor, uh, did something to his finger, maybe a hammer hit or a nail gun or something, and it was, I was worried for a bit that uh, he wouldn't be able to play his violin, but man, the Lord healed you, and thanks for using your, your talents and abilities to praise him. Hey, good morning, guys. I'm, I'm glad that you're here. Um, I don't know how your outlook on life is right now, but mine is encouraged. I'm, I'm looking forward, looking ahead, as I normally try to do, and I'm encouraged about uh, upcoming things about what God is doing. In fact, this last week I had the distinct privilege and honor of my favorite part of ministry, and that is watching God move in someone's life. In fact, uh, that's, that's my top, top favorite thing that I get to do as a pastor. And so often I get to eavesdrop on God talking to someone else. It's, it's just this privilege that I get, and it's twice this week I got to watch that happen. And so it's just rewarding to know that God is moving here in our church. And as he moves, our job is to get on board with him because he carries us the way. So I'm excited to see what he's doing. Hey, if you're in high school and you're not connected with our high school ministry called Aletheia, then you are missing out. Aletheia meets every other Friday night and uh, as well as on Sabbath mornings during Sabbath school time. And it's fantastic. In fact, last night at Friday Night Hangout for Aletheia, there was like 21 young people there, which I think that's fantastic. It's growing, it's building, and if you're in high school and you don't know about it, come find me or Pastor Alex and we'll tell you about it. In fact, you have at least two pastors, you high schoolers, that love you to death, but one pastor over the last several weeks has been covered in drywall dust and has had sore muscles from climbing ladders and painting. Pastor Alex has been working hard on that special Aletheia room down there on the side of the gym. So if you don't know about it, come talk to me or come talk to Pastor Alex and we'll get you plugged in. Hey, this morning, we're starting a new sermon series. We talked about it a little bit last week. It's called Meet Me at the Well. It's interesting that in America and all across the globe, we gather around food and drink when we want to have conversations. That's what we do and Americans do it the best in the the world. We are number one at eating. We're good at it. But we do this, uh, we'll, we'll have uh, good conversations around the table, around food and drink. Uh, Thanksgiving is a time when we gather around a table with food and drink and we talk. Um, even people that have difficult, hard conversations, it'll oftentimes be like, hey, let me, let me take you out and we'll, we'll go out to eat. And then uh, that's when I'll tell you the bad news too. We communicate around food and drink. It's the same in the Bible times. But in the Bible times, oftentimes it was at wells where conversations would happen. Everybody needs water, and so it's at these wells where people would gather and interact with each other and conversations would happen. Relationships were made at wells. Marriages were started at wells. People got rebuked at wells. Conversations all throughout the Bible oftentimes happened at wells. And so for the next four weeks, Pastor Alex and I are inviting you to meet us at the well to hear some of these Bible stories and these conversations, and I know that God will speak to you through these stories. And as we launch into today's message, I invite you just to bow your heads and pray with me as we begin. Heavenly Father, this morning as we open your word, as we open this sermon series, may we hear your voice crystal clear in our hearts. 
may you speak to us in clear, loud ways so that we know who you are and know what your call is for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Most people, at some point in your life, run away. Run away from home. Uh, Some do it when they're children. They're just little kids. Some do it when they're teenagers. They get mad and they run off. Some do it as adults. Uh, I've seen that before, too. I knew an adult, and we, uh, we called him Runaway Ron because he ran away. It's terrible. It's, we're, I'm such a jerk. I realize this, but that's what we, we called him. Um, some people never leave home, but oftentimes kids run away from home. I grew up here in Atlanta in this little house. I'll show you right here in Smyrna, just down the road from us. The address is 423 Doe Skin Lane. That's what it looks like today. Um, what a tiny little house I grew up in. I think it might be 1,200 square, square feet or something like that. No gutters. I just realized that this morning as I was looking at this picture. I've got so many good memories at this house. You can't really tell, but that driveway is pretty steep as it goes up to the carport. That's where I learned to ride my bike. I'd get on, and I'd coast down the hill and start pedaling and learn balance. Um, so many good memories. I remember in the backyard, my dad used to pitch me tennis balls, and I would hit them over the house with this big plastic bat that I had. Uh, I got my first yellow jacket sting in the back of this house. I got good memories and bad memories. Uh, One of the memories was our neighbor who lived to the left of us. He didn't have any kids, and he had this giant playhouse. I mean, it was legit. And because we lived there, and because my dad had kids, because I was a kid, he said, would you like the playhouse? We said, of course. And so we, we pulled the fence back and slid the whole playground, the playhouse, over to our backyard so that I can enjoy it. But I distinctly remember... One day, I was fed up. I was done with this family. I wasn't getting my way. I was mistreated. I didn't want to live with these jerks anymore. And so I decided it was time to run away. And so I plotted and planned. I went to the kitchen, opened the pantry, and I got a box of wheat thins because that's sustainability right there. That's what you need if you're going to run away. Wheat thins. That'll get you through the next year. I put it in an old T-shirt tied the t-shirt up on a stick and put it over my shoulder like a kind of like a hobo walking down the train tracks. I'm ready. Man, I'm tired of this family. I'm leaving. And so I opened the back door and I walked outside to the backyard and that's as far as I got on my running away. It was a very limited running away, but just to be away from the family was the blessing. Oh man. And we thin, that's always a plus. Our story today is about a well, or about something that happens at a well, but it's a story of a runaway. In fact, if you have a Bible, I invite you to open it with me to Genesis chapter 16. We'll also be in Genesis 21. Um, I long for the day when we feel comfortable putting the Bibles back in the pews, because I hate having the stuff on the screen, because it just makes lazy people. I mean, you know, you just read it up there, but you can do that today too. I won't call you too lazy. The story today is about Hagar. Hagar and Ishmael. Now, to be fully honest, I didn't really remember this story until I put it on the sermon calendar and then studied it this week. But it's a fantastic story. The story goes of, here's the context, of Father Abraham. Now, we sing a song about him. Father Abraham had many sons. And if you're a school teacher in an Adventist school, this is the number one hated song. It never ends, and there's so many emotions and whatever. But it's about this guy, Abraham. He's the father of the Jewish nation, and he marries this woman, Sarah. Now, they have a problem because Sarah can't have children. Now, we don't know why she couldn't have children, 
We don't know if she had polycystic ovary syndrome. Uh, We don't know if she had thyroid problems and her hormones were out of whack. We don't know why she couldn't have children, but we know that she couldn't have children, and it was a problem. It was a problem for her, because in that day and age, in that culture, women's job was to give their husbands children. That was their role. It was their honor to do that. And so she feels less of a woman. She feels unworthy. She feels worthless because she can't provide children for her family. It was a problem for her. It was a problem for Abraham too because it's his desire to have children, to have grandchildren and great-grandchildren, to to let his lineage continue on, and yet he can't do it because she can't. It was a problem for God because God had just promised Abraham. He said, I'm going to make you the father of a huge nation, more, more children than the stars in the sky. But the beautiful thing is, is that our God is bigger than any problem ever. He's bigger than anything we can imagine. He's bigger than anything that stands in our way, that holds us down. The hard part for us is to wait for him as he always keeps his promises. He says, I've given you this promise, you can count on it, yet we sometimes get out in front of him with our problems. And we say, oh no, what are we going to do now? How can we fix this? And when it comes to God-sized problems, human-sized solutions don't help. They don't work. I mean, how often when we're facing a challenge, a problem, a situation, a difficulty, how often do we, instead of waiting God to give us his plan and his will and his solution, how often do we go out front with our agendas and our issues and and our, our solutions that we think we might have it? I mean, see, our God, he always keeps his promises. You can always count on him. He knows the end from the beginning. And he's got the answer before the problem is even identified. And in Genesis chapter 16, starting in verse 1, we get to see what happens in this infertility struggle with Abraham and Sarah. Here's what Genesis 16 verse 1 says. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Now this whole sister wives thing i mean it's kind of awkward don't you think so yes it's, it's awkward it's uncomfortable like we don't do that kind of thing nowadays but apparently it was a thing back in the day and apparently it was an quasi righteous thing because god doesn't frown on it in fact he uses it for his glory but it just so happens that so often in our lives when we take god-sized problems and we do human-sized solutions, we find ourselves in a worse situation than we were to begin with. And that's what happens with Sarah as she finds herself in a worse position. Because you've got Hagar, that's someone from a different faith. She wasn't a Jew. She comes from a different background and a different culture and a different society. She's now carrying the child of Sarah's husband. And you get this weird love triangle that turns into a power play between the two women as they jockey for position in this family. Uh, you've, got, you've got cynical side-eye glances and comments from, from the slave, Hagar, as she puts Sarah down so that she can lift herself up 
and it gets this, this, there's more drama here than an episode of Grey's Anatomy, guys. It's messy in this family. And, and so Sarah, she finally ha- has been just so frustrated with it that her solution has, uh, has turned into a disaster. And she, she feels worthless and less valuable than ever. She feels unloved. And so she goes to Abraham and she says, we got to have a conversation. Let's have a knockout drag out. Some of you guys have those often. They had one too, so you're, you're in good company. Father Abraham had a knockout drag out, so it's okay. And here's what happens in this conversation. Blame begins to get passed back and forth. Sarah and Abraham are at it. Blame, you did this. No, you did this. You did this. I mean, blame was being passed around like a, like a hot potato. Nobody wanted it. They kept passing it back and forth like a couple of rugby players that didn't want to get tackled. They just, you did it. No, I didn't. No, no, no. Blame gets passed back and forth. Finally, Sarah gets fed up with it, and she says, listen, Abraham. Kind of snarky with a, I think it was like that too. Listen here, Abraham. It's either me or her. Well, Abraham, he doesn't want the blame because it wasn't his idea, yet he was okay with the situation. And so he responds, all right, listen here, girl. She's your slave. Do with her whatever you want. And so she takes that permission, and she begins to mistreat Hagar like never before. Uh, Mistreating her with the work that she had to do, mistreating her with the words that she would say, just continual abuse to the point that Hagar says, I'm done with this family. I am completely done working with you, working for you. I don't want anything to do with you. And so she says, I'm going home. I'm running away. And she heads for Egypt, where she came from. She's done being a slave. She's done being mistreated. So she takes her baby in her belly and she heads home towards her parents. In Genesis 16, verse 7, here's what happens. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring. Pause for a second. I don't know what your Bible says, if you have your Bible. It might say spring. It might say fountain. It might say well, because that's what it is. It's one and the same. In Hebrew, it's all the same. Near a spring, a well in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. So there she's walking on this journey, and she comes along to this well. And it's at this well that there's a conversation. Here's what the angel of the Lord says. The angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And to that I say, you got to be kidding me. I mean, she was living in misery. The worst situation ever. And God says, no, 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 no. You go back and you submit to her. That's a hard pill to swallow. He goes on. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. So in this conversation between the Lord's angel, which is in fact a communicator of God, it's a conversation between God and Hagar, God says two things. He says, you go back and you submit. And he says, I have a promise for you that I will take your son and make him more powerful than ever before. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in a miserable situation, I've just left a miserable situation, the last thing I want to do is to go back to it. And, and, and I'll give Hagar a break. She's from a different country. She's from a different life. She doesn't know God as the, the God of the universe. She, she knows Egyptian gods and goddesses. But as she speaks to him, she realizes that there's something supernatural about him. And as he speaks to her and gives her a promise for her son, she realizes that there's something that she needs to to grab hold of. And so as he calls her to go back into the misery that she was in, she listens and she responds. Now, I don't know what I would have done, and I don't know what you would have done 
Because if you're in a miserable situation, or you've just come out of a miserable situation, you're not going back into it. When I was up at seminary up in Michigan, uh, what was that? That's like, uh, man, that was a long time ago. It was like 10, 11 years ago. Up at seminary up in Michigan, I used to work for a man named Daryl Hosford. Here's, his, here's a picture of him. He's a great dude. He's just an incredible, loving, kind, deeply Christian man. And he, he created apps and, he, and websites, and he loved to hire seminarians while you're up there for 22 months to work for him. And it was all manual labor, which worked out for me because I love working with my hands and working hard. So, so he, we'd work at his house or we'd work at his office. And, you know, I built retaining walls and poured concrete slabs. I mean, I, I built chicken coops and dog houses. I mean, I, I made this watering system where you could water the garden. I mean, I did a, did a ton of stuff and had good experiences. But there's something you need to know about Michigan. And if, if there's a Michigander in here, uh, you'll either agree with me or disagree with me, but it was my experience, so you can't challenge me on it. In Michigan, there's two basic seasons. It's either blistering cold or blazing hot, and there's like one week that it's actually nice out, and that's when the mosquitoes are there. I'm not a big Michigan fan, if you didn't know. Um, and I remember this one time in the summer while I'm working there. It was 99 degrees outside, and I, I know it's 99 degrees because I had I, re- I remember this very vividly. My job for the day was to dig a trench from one building over to the chicken coop so that we could bury electric cable and run it across over there. And that soil was as rocky and hard as Georgia clay. 99 degrees. I'm outside, sweating. I'm, I'm about to have heat stroke. Uh, it's, it's miserable. So frustrated. Shovel, pickaxe. I was so sick of it. And meanwhile... Here in Georgia, it's like 85 degrees. And I'm thinking, why am I here in the north, 99 degrees? Let me go home. I'm going back to the south. So I called my dad because I was at the quitting point. I said, Dad, this is ridiculous. I can't believe this misery that I'm in. And my dad, he's such a great guy. You know, he listened to me and he commiserated with me and he showed empathy to me. And then he said this. He said, Matt, it's going to be okay, man. Just keep plugging away. You'll get through today, and it'll be okay. And even though I love my dad and I trust my dad, that's the last thing that I wanted him to say. I wanted him to say, man, drop the, drop the shovel and drop the axe. Peace out, buddy. Leave that joint. But that didn't happen because he called me to go back into my misery. I don't know what your situation is this morning that makes you miserable, but we've all got one. I don't know what it is for you. It could be family drama. It could be, it could be a, a job drama. It could be lots of different things that makes your life miserable. Everybody's got something. For some of you this morning, it's the fact that you're single. You've been single your, for so long. Maybe you've never been married. Uh, maybe you've been divorced. Um, and inside you've got this longing for someone. And you've tried every website. You've tried every app signed in for every, except for Tinder, because we know that doesn't lead anywhere good. You've tried it all, looking for that one person that is for you. You feel embarrassed, uh, like you're unworthy and not good enough, because you've tried so hard, and, and you still can't find someone, and you're, you're miserable. Maybe for some of you, your misery is, is parenting. Man, parenting's hard. Uh, kids are tough. Especially when you've done your very, very best and you've, you've, you've done what you can for them. You've tried to make the best decisions for them and raise them the best way you can. And yet they make 
dumb decisions that affect the rest of their life, and you just stand there and watch them, and you feel just miserable. Some of you, uh, your misery is because you feel like a washed-up failure in life, where professionally, your career, you really don't have one. You've just bounced here and there and, and everywhere, and, and you feel like the world is judging you because they know that you don't have a good paycheck coming in, and you feel embarrassed, and you feel miserable. Some of you feel like you've never actually fit in in life and society. You've never been a part of the cool crowd. You've always been kind of a loser. Every time you have a conversation with anyone, it feels like they just want to be done with the conversation because you're boring and you're miserable. And when you feel miserable, the last thing you want to hear is to go back in and suck it up and just go back into the situation. But God is a God that takes you back to a situation to show you the plan that he has for your life, a bigger plan than you could ever imagine. And it's at this point in our story with Hagar that things get interesting. Not that they weren't interesting before, but she goes back and she submits, submits to Sarah and she says, okay, I'm ready. Now, Sarah, excuse me, let's, let's back up just a half step here. It's at this point in the conversation at the well where God and Hagar are communicating, where God and Hagar begin to pronounce names on things. Now, we talked about Alexandra Sophia Martinez this morning. What a fantastic name. Well done. God pronounces the name of the child inside Hagar's womb. First time he ever did it in the Bible. And he pronounces the name Ishmael, which means God hears. So you have a non-Jew, non-Christian, a non-believer in who God is, and yet she's just experienced the God who hears. And for the rest of Ishmael's life, she will have a memento that reminds her of the God who hears. And as she rejoices that God has heard her, she pronounces a name over the well that she's having, the, the well that, that she's standing around. And she, she, she gives it the name Be'er Lahai Roy, which means you are the God who sees me. Ah, it's this cool interaction between God and an unbeliever who now is starting to believe. So go fast forward with me to Genesis chapter 21, a couple chapters later. You've got um, uh, several years have passed. You've got Sarah, who now has had a child. His name is Isaac. And Hagar is back at home with, with Ishmael. Now, Sarah and Hagar, they may be getting along okay, but their kids are not. Just like parental problems, problems in the parents, it oftentimes shows up in the kids. That's what's happening here. The, the drama and baggage between Hagar and Sarah, it's now in the kids. Ishmael, the older one, is picking on Isaac, the younger one, and it's nonstop. It gets to the point that Sarah can't take it any longer. So she goes back to Abram, as she does always, and she says, Abram, you've got to do something about this. Well, he says, I know what to do. So he goes and he talks to God and he says, God, you tell me what to do. And God says, it's time to release Hagar and Ishmael. So here's what Genesis chapter 21, starting in verse 14, here's the rest of the story. It says this, early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. I mean, it's a sad part in the story. This mom who has a two-year-old, three-year-old maybe, it's a t he's, a, he's a toddler, he's not a baby. 
he's just a little guy, and they've been wandering in the wilderness. Uh, you know, Abraham's given them the wheat bins and a water bottle, and he sent them out in the desert, and they're wandering around. The water's gone. The food is gone. They have nothing left. They're, they're knocking on death's doorstep. It's time. She knows it. She knows they're going to die, and so she can't bear to watch her son die, and so she takes him, and she puts him in the shade as if to give him some kind of comfort as he breathes his last. But she can't watch him. Just like parents, if you've ever uh, had little babies and you did the cry it out method where you try to get them to go to sleep by themselves, you, can't, you just can't listen to the babies crying. It breaks your heart. And so Hagar, she can't listen to her boy cry. And so she goes, the Bible says, a bow shot away. As far as an archer can shoot an arrow, and she goes away. Far enough that she can't hear him cry. But even though she can't hear him cry, God can hear him cry. In fact, the next passage says this. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up, take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. That's the second well in her story. She saw a well of water, so she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. I mean, I love this story. It gives me chills just thinking about it. A God that has been with Hagar and Ishmael from way before they even existed, who has a plan for them beyond anything they could think and imagine. As Hagar is far enough away from her kid that she can't hear him, God is listening with his supersonic sound sensitivity because he cares about humans because he cares about people that are hurting. He's not a God that is a far away, distant God. He is a God that is here in the midst of everything that you experience. A relational God that is close to humans in their time of need. And as I read the story of Hagar, there are several points that jump out to me that are important to me that, that spoke to my heart this week, and I hope that they speak to yours too. Here they are. Here's the first one. God keeps his promises even when we forget. Oh, he does. He's a promise keeper. The story with Hagar is kind of a deja vu story because twice she finds herself at a well in need and twice God tells her that he has a plan for her life and for the life of, of Ishmael. I mean, we can give her a break because she did, wasn't a believer and she forgot his promise, but I wonder how often do we forget God's promises? I mean, we memorize them. In Sabbath school, as kids, we memorize his promises like he'll never leave us nor forsake us. We put that in our heart, but do we forget it sometimes? Or like the promise that he will complete a good work in us that he began a long time ago. We say, yes, 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 he's, he's working on me, but do we forget it? Or a promise that before we call, he answers. Uh, how often do we forget his promises? And even if we forget, he doesn't forget. Here's the next one. God's vision is much greater than ours. And I'm so glad. Hagar, she's in the desert. She's dying, yet she steps from a life-giving well. She just doesn't know it's there. She can't see it. I, I don't think Hagar couldn't see it because she was distracted with her baby crying. I don't think she couldn't see it because uh, she had tears in her eyes and she couldn't see clearly. I think she just couldn't see it because she didn't know it was there. Kind of like uh, when you're driving in dense fog, you got your headlights on, you got your fog lights on, it's not a lack of light that you can't see. 
You can turn the brights on, it makes it worse. You could add some lights, it's not going to help you. It's not the fact that you don't have light or you need more light. It's just the fact that no matter how much you strain into the dense fog, you still can't see what's right in front of you. And Hagar, as she's done her best, she's looked everywhere for a life support for her and her son. She just can't see what God can see because God's vision is much greater than ours. Oh, how I wish that we had God vision to see the future to see what he can see, to, that he can see beyond our problems, beyond our issues. He knows the future. He knows what's going to happen. And it's when we can't see, but he can see, that my faith grows in him. And here's the last one. God always provides. I mean, if this point doesn't deserve an amen, then there's nothing that does, because God always provides. It might not be what you hoped for or wished for or asked for or prayed for, but he always provides. You've got Hagar. She's in the desert. She's dying. And I don't know what she was wishing for or hoping for. She might have hoped that, that a caravan of, of raiders came by with their camels and took her to somewhere safe. Uh, she might have hoped that a rainstorm just came out of nowhere. She might have wished that a spring bubbled up underneath the sand. He didn't give that to her. He gave her a well. He showed her where a well was because he always provides. And in your situation, whatever it is, he'll provide for you too. That's why we memorize verses like these. And my God will supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Or this one, whatever you ask in prayer, will be, you will receive if you have faith. Or this one, you know this one, well, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And no matter what you're facing, you can rest assured that our God is a God that always provides. That's who He is. He doesn't hold back good things from His children. He showers blessings on us. You can count on Him. You can bank on Him that He always, always will provide. This morning, whatever you're facing, whatever challenge it is, whatever uh, trouble you have in your life. I know there's a lot here this morning. Let Hagar's story speak to your heart today. Maybe you need an appointment with God at a well to have a conversation with him, to know that God keeps his promises even if we forget them, to know that God's vision is much greater than our vision, and to know that God always keeps his promises as he leads you all the way. hope you were inspired by today's message, and we would love to hear from you. If you would like to contact one of our pastors, find out more about what we believe, or for information about our service times in Marietta, Georgia, please visit www.mariettaadventist.org. If you were inspired by today's message, please share it with your friends. It is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are available.